Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 52 of Conquering Columbus. To mark our year's worth of episodes, we have what might be the best episode we've ever done here today with uh, Andrew Catapano of Wild Brands. Uh, he came to this episode all fired up on Slim Jims and Red Bull, and he left us feeling really excited, and I uh, think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode of Conquering Columbus. But before we dive into that, I want to take a moment and remind you all, go ahead and look at whatever podcast app you're listening to this on. Click that subscribe button. It really helps us out, and it'll make sure you guys never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. The last thing we want to do before we get this episode rolling is take a moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. For those of you who don't know who they are, the Sundown Group is an Ohio nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout Ohio. More information on the web at sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them is a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, fast casual restaurants. You can learn more and check out a free trial at gofmx.com. Mike here again, and if you want to be a sponsor of Conquering Columbus and have your message heard by conquerors across the city, please reach out to me at mike at conqueringcolumbus.com. And one last thing before we get this episode rolling, conquerors, we want to hear from you. There will be a quick survey in the show notes of today's episode, and if you guys could fill that out for us, we'd really appreciate it. All right, conquerors, let's get the show on the road. drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day choosing greatness greatness doesn't choose you you know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Uh, today on the show, we have Andrew Catapano. And for the last 12 years, Andrew's been the CEO of Wild Brands here in Columbus. And Wild Brands handles everything from website design and development to branding, e-commerce, and mobile app development. Uh, but before Wild Brands, Andrew held a few management positions, including the Director of Digital Brand Management at Coldwater Creek and the VP of Value City. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Andrew. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, we're really excited to have Catapano. you. Catapano. I say he pronounced that right? That's yeah, all was... right. It's okay. No. Everyone gets it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> How's your but day going right. so far? It's going okay. Uh, one day at a time, right? Trying to save the world. One brand strategy at a time. <laughs> That's how it works over at Wow Brands. Yeah, so we were trying to uh, link up on this for a little bit. We missed some dates, um, just some misalignments, and then said you're going to bring the heat today. I seen you eating uh, Slim Jim, so I feel like you're going to bring the Randy Savage in this interview. So we're, right. we're ready for it. <laughs> that's right. Slim Jims, beef jerky, and uh, and and Red Bulls. That's uh, that's what powers a good marketer in today's industry. <laughs> <laughs> so we like to start off with this question, and we'll dive back into it later. But what's a typical day look like for you? Uh, typical day is is. Um, I mean, it's different, you know, so we've evolved our brand strategy and our company over the last decade now that we've been uh, in business and I've been doing this for for well over that. But um, uh, the typical day now is is really managing a client's expectation. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. And at the end of the day, uh, making sure because we're a recurring marketing model. We're not a, we try not to stay away from the standalone projects. So we maintain really a true agency relationship with our clients. So it's month over month. What new strategies are we coming up with? And I call it the shampoo theory. You know, it's uh, lather, rinse, repeat. What is working and what's not? Is it burning my eyes? Get it out of there. Is it working? Let's keep it going. So it's managing the client relationships, managing expectations, and really coming up with the best forward-thinking marketing strategies based on last month analytics and a gut feeling of this month. Before we dive into that business model too much, I definitely want to talk about that as the majority interview, but I kind of want to kick things off and maybe cover the beginning of your story and your path through. I mean, you held a couple interesting positions up before creating the company. So take us through that process, maybe college, and kind of what formed you to want to become an entrepreneur. Sure. So... Uh, I went to a small religious college uh, in uh, Grantham, Pennsylvania, called the Wheaton of the East, for you uh, Christians playing at home. Um, uh, Messiah College, and um, after that, went to law school in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. Thought I was going to save the world as being an environmental lawyer. Uh, That was boring real quick. (laughs) So... I uh, graduated law school uh, and and got my first job. My uh, one of my greatest pro- best professor I had was Paths of Law in law school, which was the uh, the unscientific approach to the law. Uh, liked me, so he recruited me for a company he worked for after he left uh, being a professor at our law school. He worked for an employment and labor law compliance company. So one of my first jobs out of law school was writing. Uh, uh, compliance taking state statutes and 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 bringing them down to translating them into english language so people could understand them and writing textbooks for hr professionals that's what i did so my my first job was really trying to understand how employment and labor laws worked um and and then how employees had to either you know, uh, how they got translated as far as payroll compliance and all this stuff. That's boring, but it, it will play a role in what I do now. Um, oddly enough, people always ask me, how do you make that transition? So we'll, we'll get there. So once I did that, I started a career in HR. And what I realized, because that's what I knew, right? I was so good in the law and I was like, okay, let me take this and let me, let me, let me see if I can be an executive in HR on a fast track. Um, uh, doing more of brand compliance and, and, and legal compliance in-house. So my next job uh, right after that was, uh, or soon after that, was for Chico's uh, in, 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 in Florida. 
and I worked in-house counsel uh, relationship, but was but was uh, uh, tasked with the marketing side of in-house counsel and compliance. What that means was a lot of retailers design their uh, business practices, employment manuals, hiring practices around how they want their brand to be. So Abercrombie & Fitch only hires certain types of, well, not anymore, but certain types of, of, of employees. Uh, and they're bold about that. Uh, Hooters only has a certain type of employee. How, how do they get away with that? Well, they call them models, not waitresses. Um, and in Abercrombie's case, uh, they were uh, actors, not sales associates. So they were actually, their employment manuals, people don't realize this, their job descriptions were written where they don't have to actually help a customer. They, can, they, they are there to act the part of an associate, and if they want to help a customer, they can. And that's how they got around of hiring only beautiful people and, and because they labeled them as actresses and actors uh, and models. So uh, I wrote that stuff. And what, from that progression, I saw such this passion for people who were so in tune with trying to build the most iconic, relevant brand that was so aligned with the client they wanted to be focused on that they broke it down all the way to building legal employment manuals, application processes, so that they could hire the people who were engaging with that client on the level that they wanted their brand to be known for. And I was like, man, that's awesome. That's that's amazing level of integrity for what you want your brand to be. And in some cases, they you know brands go too far, and I get that. So then, uh, you know, I took that and said, okay, the law is not as exciting anymore. Can I take all of this training and develop marketing uh, practices as as a result of everything I've learned in retail, every bit I've learned about living and dying for the brand? Can I bring that to my Fortune 100 and Fortune 500 experience, can I bring all of what I've learned there to the average person who otherwise couldn't afford all that great expertise and counsel, can I bring that to them and let them build in their minds their own iconic brand from the ground up with best practices that I took from my corporate career? And that's how MyWebWild.com was born. Um, two, two reasons. One, because I really wanted to do it, and two, I couldn't find a job. It was 2008, right? And <laughs> nobody could find a job, so I had to do something quick. So I took that experience, um, uh, lied to most people that said it was a choice, <laughs> but in, in reality, it was a choice I was forced into, which is what great entrepreneurs' stories are usually born of. They're forced to do it. So I took it, uh, I was forced to do it in some cases, but I wanted to do it in the back of my head. It all came in at the right time, and, and MyWebWow.com, ultimately evolving into Wow Brands, was born, and that's the track of how we got there. We like to think of ourselves here at Concord and Columbus as both actors and models, actually, which is <laughs> odd enough. I think, I'll give you the actor piece. Well, I, I mean, we'll, t- we'll, we'll take both. So, <laughs> What's funny, though, is I think 2008 – a lot of the entrepreneurs we have on the show forced many of them into that situation, which sure. is, you know, you look back on it and, and it almost seemed like a curse to many people. And then kind of entrepreneurs are always known to be kind of survivors, the scrappy ones who will, you know, find a way to make it no matter what. And I think 2008 kind of really flushed a lot of those out. And uh, you see a lot of people who kind of left their corporate jobs and jumped into an entrepreneurship role. But I want to transition that back a little bit and get maybe more granular into your decision to leave what you were doing and create the company and kind of how that initial process started. Because I think a lot of people skip over that. And I think that's 
for some people that zero to one is a really difficult step and they don't really understand how it comes together because people have a vision, um, but they don't understand how to pull together the resources and kind of pull that vision together and make something out of it. Sure. Well, um, you're right to one degree. I was in a choice to leave. It wasn't my choice. I was fired. The company went bankrupt. Value City went bankrupt and I was let go. It is what it was. It's the last job I had and they were done. So I had to, I had two choices. Uh, go go look for a job, which was my dad's recommendation. What well, recommendation? My dad's demand was you will go fucking find a job and don't even think about doing anything else. So I did. I interviewed at Ross Stores in New York. I interviewed at Weston Elm in Brooklyn. Uh, Where were you living at this time? Here in Columbus. You know, I was here. Um, and what'd your dad do? Was he an entrepreneur? Or? My dad is the uh, 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 vice president, now maybe senior vice president of the biggest insurance company in the world. So he is, uh, you know, a, a, a member of Trump Golf Club up in Chappaqua. He lives a couple doors down from Hillary Clinton uh, in Chappaqua, New York. My dad is a self-made man, but not in the entrepreneurial sense. Entrepreneurial sense, he's a uh, he's a he's 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 a salesman. My dad is a very good politician, and my dad was very good at corporate America. My dad understood how to navigate through that way better than I did. I, I got my mom's. Uh, if I don't get the right answer, I will force it. <laughs> and my dad got, if I don't get the right answer, I will convince them that their, that my idea is their idea. That's how my dad survived. And he created a very nice career in that. Uh, I was not meant for that. You have, and I don't want to go off too much a tangent from your story, but you pointed out something that I think is kind of unique to some of our listeners to kind of switch something from if it's not your idea, you know, pushing out and making them think it's their idea. So yeah. do you have any examples kind of growing up on kind of situations where he did things like that that kind of stuck out to you? My dad? Yeah. Well, my dad, he would tell me, uh, I, I would watch him. My dad was, was, I had a great upbringing. So my dad was, I, I, I was fortunate um, to watch my dad go from kind of selling knives door to door. And I, I have a, a scar actually that reminds me right here of flying over the front seat of, of my dad's gremlin. And I don't know if anyone knows what a gremlin car is. It was the car in Wayne's World. When they blow up, wasn't Wayne's there a thing about World. them blowing up or something? <laughs> yeah. Right, but that is that is a gremlin. We own that. And my dad drove that. So, And I am, I'm old enough to remember that to the... Uh, 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 to being driven to private boxes in baseball games in a limousine. So my dad was able to go from that to that in a period of time that I can remember. And I used to be on trips with my dad where I would watch him navigate and I would watch guys come up to him and he would be talking to me a very certain way as father and son would. And I would watch my dad almost shift gears into he now had to be a certain person in front of this individual that had come up to him. And he would always introduce me and always be nice, but he would explain things to me that he was doing or about to interact with. And then he'd say, all right, watch this. I got to deal with this. This guy's coming over. He's a big deal. You know, mind your P's and Q's, but I got to do something real quick. But uh, a lot of business coming my way if I can make this happen. Watch this. And he would turn and he would deal with the guy and he would, I remember, he would say stuff like, that's a great idea or, oh man, we got to get on that. Don't worry, we're going to make that happen. He was really good at listening to somebody, understanding how they needed to feel. And in his own head, even though he didn't have any marketing books, what he was doing is he was identifying his audience, understanding their problem and solving it. And he just did it really good and almost subversively to the person he was doing it with. 
um, which is probably where I learned that piece of it. And I used to watch that all the time. I married that, my dad's ability to do that, I believe, with my mother's entrepreneurial creative side of it. And that's probably where I learned basically what I do now, which is sell something like my dad did verbally, contextually and visually without saying a word. So that, that's probably the art form of how, and I probably never said it, said it that way as, as you asked me that question, but that's probably how I married those two because people say I'm a great salesman and I can talk, but I usually talk too much as I'm talking right now. My dad would never talk like this. He'd be very direct on what he said. He'd be articulate, he'd be fun, but you know, you, you could ask my dad, you, you would get to an answer and an, you would get to a question and an answer within seconds. I'm, think, I'm more thinking out loud. That's my mom's personality coming out. So my art form is to, to, to not only be able to do this, but then to critically think through it and then get somebody to get the emotion that my dad and answer the question that my dad could answer quicker, but visually and contextually without saying anything. And uh, uh, that's where I feel like I've gotten that from and that's where I feel like at least I've adapted my parents' philosophies into my art. I guess I do think there's something to that though because there's different people and personalities that are good at sales in different ways that you resonate with people from my perspective and I think the way that you describe your dad you know his talents differing from yours like you have a sense of thinking out loud but it builds a sense of transparency and trust between you know when I'm sitting across from me I feel like this individual is is thinking out loud but I, I f I'm gaining trust because I feel like there's nothing being hidden inside you know and your energy is kind of contagious and the way that you articulate your words. So I could see where it comes across and you could do a job at selling. It's unique to see those different styles of personalities cross though and how you kind of see your your dad more as a salesman. But I think that, you know, kind of from our perspective, I see like kind of the same personality traits. You know what's it's interesting you say that, you know what the curse of that is though, is because my, my mother is extremely smart. I am I am aware when you're doing it. It is, uh, it's, it's very, uh, it hurts your brain sometimes. Like I will sit and talk and I'll actually, as the words are coming out of my mouth, I'm going, I gotta be able to say this better. This is not coming out right. And there are many people who maybe can't, I think it was Socrates maybe who said the unexamined life is not one worth living. I think I take that a little bit too far sometimes. Like I'm heightenedly aware of when I'm doing it right or when I'm doing it wrong. And it, uh, I think that is the, maybe that is the creative curse too. But, uh, we we creatives, I think, uh, probably criticize ourselves a lot more than maybe most people do. But um, I appreciate you saying that. I love the fact that it is a transparency. But, um, you know, sometimes I wish I could do it with less words. So, <laughs> yeah, so now admit that we're models. <laughs> so now, <all> right. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's funny that, you know, during this whole time I've been thinking about, you know, what you talked about, about the difference between corporate America and entrepreneurial creative people. And I think that that fundamental difference of in corporate America that you, you can't really go too much against the grain. Mm. But nowadays, corporate America is getting hamstrung by small startups and people that are taking their business away from them by going against the grain. And they've kind of transitioned towards, hey, we want more people that are willing to be creative and willing to go against the grain. So it's, it's interesting. I would be interested in seeing you know, the difference between, say, how your dad would do in corporate America today versus if you were in corporate America today. Mm. Well, you, you make an interesting point. I'll give you two uh, uh, th responses to that. One is 
Never was I so reminded of that fact. And I don't know if we can drop actual brand names on the show, but I will because it is what it is and I'm, I'm me. But so we have this client, uh, Aaron's, you know, the Rent-A-Center, you know, the, the, the rent-to-own uh, people. Uh, they have a franchise model. So what they have is they have a bunch of franchisees and we uh, just were lucky enough to get a, a client that is their largest franchisee. There's 55 locations. We were on the phone with Aaron's corporate and uh, their, their chief marketing officer about what we could and couldn't do. And he got to a point where he was telling us because they weren't doing local search very well. And that's the only reason why we got introduced because the franchisees were so frustrated that the corporate was not helping them with local search. So people were searching city state, uh, you know, and, and they couldn't find them and they weren't convert. They weren't gaining the traffic that they needed. And the, and the guy actually stopped me because I, when I get on a roll with something that I really like, it comes across and some people who don't know me and say, man, it's, it's aggressive. But when you're seeing me talk, you don't get that. But when you're on the phone, it's, it's tough. So your listeners may be going, this guy's aggressive. So, but, <laughs> so the guy, he was like, Andrew, Andrew, stop. And he actually stopped me. He said, you are correct, but you have to understand what I am up against. This is a political machine. I will try my best to get your request passed through, but do not hold your breath. What he was saying in that moment was, you're actually right, but in order to get that change made, it will probably be an inevitable impossibility because of the size of the company that we are and the channels I have to get through. That to me was such a disappointment that there was a, there was a fundamental thing they were doing wrong but they didn't understand how to tell the powers that be to change it when they heard the right solution, even though they admitted that it was the wrong, that it was the right solution. So I never, it hadn't hit me as much as what you had just said there uh, about how political sometimes it can be. But here's the message that I will give then to, to the corporate America people, if, if one of you are listening. Um, there, there is a difference, though, of, of hiring an agency as opposed to having your own internal people and how my dad would fare would be your question there. My dad did everything to save his job. He made decisions with the ultimate understanding of I get paid every two weeks. And if I don't make this decision properly, that is in jeopardy. I don't make decisions that way as an entrepreneur and as an outside agency. I make decisions based on I'm only good as what I kill in these two weeks in order to get paid. So it is a very different philosophy that I think entrepreneurs have, and I call it the zoo versus the wild. In the, my dad was in the zoo his whole life. He got fed every, every noon, every two weeks is what we call it. He roared when they told him to roar, and he was very safe. He was behind a fence, and no one's getting hurt. I'm a lion, but I'm in the wild. I am hunting, and it's fun to watch me chase down that gazelle, and I love it, right? But it's a little dangerous. Sometimes the gazelles aren't available. I go hungry. And it's not as safe all the time and someone's going to get hurt because there's no fence in front of me. So it's a give and take. But I think at the end of the day, there's, there's benefits to both. But I think my father, to answer your question, is happy where he is in the zoo. And, and I, I'm happy in the wild. <laughs> oh, so many good quotes. <laughs> <coming out laughs> That's fired up now. <laughs> so so there's, there's a philosophy out there, too. And I don't know how familiar you are with like Gary Vaynerchuk. I'm sure you've heard of him or heard sure. a couple yeah. of his things. But then he talks about putting yourself out of business if you're a large corporation. And there's something I was thinking about the other day. Um, I'm currently going through business school, so I probably think I'm much smarter in this area now than I should. But like, as I'm starting to think about like what businesses are good for the economy and what aren't, 
started thinking like that mid-size, so like obviously a startup company is great once they hit profitability and you make it and you're kind of, you're getting rolling, but there's like this mid-level between like a million and a hundred million of sure. companies I've been a part of where they just really, they're getting the job done. There's not all that extra fat like in corporate companies where, you know, you have people who really have jobs that really they're not doing too much or you're just kind of like, you're getting, you're going through processes where you can't get things passed where they actually should be and they'd be better for the company. And there's just like these these weird situations, but now these corporate companies are making these incubators and they're starting to think like startups. And I think it's awesome because I think it's the best thing they could possibly do to take that small company philosophy and completely disrupt everything that they're doing. Yep. You know, but I mean that's not really a question. That's a tangent that we've gone off of completely from where from no, where no, no, we're no, I think I think you're right there because I think what they're saying is what, what they're saying is back to my analogy of the zoo in the wild. They're removing the protection. They're, I'm sorry, they're removing the, the, the defense in that moment. They're saying, guys, your paycheck's not at risk. Try to chase it down. Sh- kill me something today. You don't have to tell a person who fights for their paycheck from their client every month to give me a challenge today because you'll just stop feeding me, right? So it's funny when we call, you know, we give them such labels. We'll call them incubators and we call them pro- special projects teams and, and we call them, you know, uh, uh, special task forces or whatever they, you know, new business acumen they might give them. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're saying, show me a little fight. Let's, what they should say is, your paycheck may not be here in two weeks unless you show us something spectacular. And then you'll see a change. You don't have to call it an incubator. Just say, listen, if we decide not to pay you in two weeks, do you think you'll do something a little more aggressive and fight for it? But so that's the whole, I, 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 I don't think you're off tangent. I think it's, it's good that they release those restrictions on employees, but I think they just have to be a little more direct about it. We want to see you guys fight a little bit, challenge yourselves and think outside the box. And I think that they'll, they'll, they'll get better results and don't fear, uh, uh, missing out on your paycheck. But I'll finish the conversation with one thing, which is, my boss said one thing to me when I was at Chico's. I loved the guy. And actually, he was the guy who gave me my first website when I started the company. He really liked me and I really liked him. But he said one thing that I'll never forget. And I said, man, this is... I didn't understand it at the time, but I said, man, this is probably going to be my mantra for starting my own business. He said, Andrew, I pissed him off one time because I got all excited about doing something. I implemented it. And what I did was inevitably, it got up the food chain past him and his superiors came to him and said, what is this? Why wasn't this approved first? It wasn't a big deal. It was, I don't even remember what it was at the time, but my boss pulled me in. He said, Andrew, I love you. I love your entrepreneurship. And he didn't say that, but he probably said something like, I love your aggression. I love your assertion, but you made more work for me. I don't want that. You know, so do me a favor. I like when people don't make more work for me. Just do your job and do it well, but don't mess up my world. And what I thought in that moment was he could have encouraged me such a different way, but he, what he said was, I'm good, man. They pay me every two weeks. I don't want to be. And so many people in corporate America are faced with bosses like that, which makes it impossible for them to grow. And that's probably what causes a lot of entrepreneurship is people tell me we don't leave jobs. We leave supervisors. In that moment, I, I knew I was going to leave that supervisor. It wasn't about the job. It was about the way he could coach me. But I, I, I feel bad for everybody out there, maybe who has a boss like that. But understand that there are sometimes there are workarounds. But in the end, um, strive to find a leader who can lead you or be a leader yourself. 
I want to create a company that's, you know, the Chico size, bigger, whatever, but that has leaders in place that in that meeting would sit down and say, you cause more work for me, but it was better for the company and I'm ready to, you know, face it. And then he can go to his boss and face with, you know, kind of situation. So, and, I mean, you don't see that. There's nothing really um, to respond to that with, I guess, but that's just like something really interesting, a concept that I think would be pretty cool if there was companies that really operated like that. You know, they asked LeBron James something today. It was actually on ESPN or something, and I saw it. He made a quote today about what are you going to do when you leave the NBA. And he said, I want to start a, I want to uh, uh, own an NBA franchise. And they said, why? And I'm not going to get this quote right, but it's, 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 it's right on point with what you just said. He said, because I feel like I can continue to lead people and put them in a position where they can achieve more than they thought was possible alone. And I thought... I didn't get that quote right. I probably paraphrased it right there. But that's a pretty strong leader. Somebody who says, my role is to not just maintain my paycheck and my standard of living, but my role is to give opportunity to people who otherwise couldn't have had it, see how big they can get as a partnership, not as an individual, and let them do more as a group than they could alone. That's a leader, and that's why that's what we need more of. More of those types of individuals starting companies and more of those types of individuals leading teams inside of established companies. Absolutely. You know, I think with LeBron, you see that in his style of play. You know, he might be not be leading in points per game, but he's still up there. But yeah. He might not be leading across all stats, but if you look at his teammates and the people that are playing with him, they're all, you know, if you watch people leave, they, their numbers go down when they leave LeBron. Well, I mean, yeah, you can, things you can't measure are the energy, at least directly, or the energy and the camaraderie and the i guess the personality that he brings to the team that people don't see behind the curtains you know what i'm saying yep. that that's just what leaders do and sometimes the best leaders will take the spotlight off themselves so i mean maybe that's something that he partially does that we don't see it because we've never been on a team with LeBron, even though we're all probably good enough yeah <laughs> you know josh and i are both about like six two so we, well, we were just under well you guys are too busy being actors and models so yeah you, know, you can't do it all it's not, you know? it's not easy balling in every area of life. You take an elbow to the face or something, then our other jobs are at risk. But, uh, so we just lost 20 people from the episode. So to try to bring some back. So let's, let's just go a little bit more, jump back into that granularity. We can kind of go through like the 10,000 foot view of just like creating the company. And then I want to talk, dive into what you guys are doing today. Yeah, sure. So once the, you know, I, I couldn't, and this is answering the question of logistically how I did it. Um, it, it um, yeah, I couldn't, I, I went to these interviews and, and, and people three or four levels above me, VPs and senior VPs were taking manager jobs during that time. So the jobs I was getting offered were coordinators. I mean, I was making well into the six figures um, in my young 30s at Value City. And uh, I was basically being told my next job would be 50 grand a year. And you know, I was down at Hyde Park making it rain. I, you know, it wasn't, this, this lifestyle wasn't going to stop, right? I mean, it's never going to end. And I literally left Value City with not, uh, I don't think, maybe 10 or 15, 20 bucks in my bank account. I mean, making, making very good money, you know, signing bonus that I only had eight months prior, you know, full relocation money to get here. And I, I literally had probably less than $100 in my bank account when I left them. Um, and Hyde Park was flooding with rain. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 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 it was immediately on to unemployment. You know, they weren't giving any severances because they were bankrupt. So it was immediately on to unemployment. I think I made uh, $375 a week, maybe $425, something like that. 
Um, not more than that. And uh, it got ugly real fast, you know? So uh, credit cards didn't get paid. You know, that's fact. Uh, student loans got deferred. And uh, I remember uh, Value City gave me the laptop. They said, you can take the laptop with you. So I was like, all right, that's a start, okay? <laughs> you know, maybe most people don't have a laptop. And I remember my mom came down, visited me, uh, and uh, she had to buy me groceries. I mean, I, I was uh, 30, 33, 32 years old, 33 years old. And I had my, my uh, beautiful Jewish mother walking through a grocery store, not batting an eye, saying, buy whatever you need. And, kosher. Uh, co- yeah, no, my mom's not kosher, but, uh, uh, but she, she was definitely like, uh, she's got the, the, the Long Island Jewish accent. And uh, it was definitely make sure you get the meats. And they freeze. And you'll be all right with that. All right. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so there's a lot of meats, a lot of uh, non-perishables, and uh, um, uh, she loaded it up. We and uh, I remember I right reached out to the, that guy who told me. Actually, sorry, he reached out to me because he's like, you're, you're a techie kind of guy, aren't you? And he said, could you think you could build me a website for recruiting? Because he wanted to get into recruiting. And I said, all right, I'll, g- I'll give it a shot. And I remember he paid me 500 bucks for it. I built it in Publisher. It was horrible. And uh, he gave me 500 and I thought, I, l- I looked at that check for 500 I said, this is it. I can do this. There are other people that want this. So I went down. I don't drink coffee. I drink Red Bulls. I'm, I hate <laughs> coffee. But the coffee shop was the only place that lets you sit and work. So I figured I, I can't do this in the house because I get inspired by other people. So I'm like, I'll go down to the coffee shop. I'll, I'll make a little flyer with the $500 they gave me. I went and, and had my buddy who still worked for Chico's. He was in the art department. I said, could you, could you do something for me? Make me a flyer. So he made me a little flyer that said websites for $299. So I went to the coffee shop. And then Craigslist was huge at that time for mm-hmm. finding stuff. So I put a little ad on Craigslist, scanned my flyer. And then put it in Craigslist with websites two ninety nine, and I remember the first girl that called me, first client that called me was Sarah Gaylor, and it was Sarah Gaylor Photography. They now own a coffee shop with her husband Jared Williamson down the short north called Mission Coffee, um, and they now work for us at Wild Brands part time doing photography and video services. Uh, they have together we click great great people and salt of the earth people. She was my first real paying client that I earned on my own. And she gave me $750 for her wedding photography website that I put together in Publisher. But then what I realized was, so now I had like $1,200 in a period of, of 60 days. I'm like, okay. But then I realized I had to grow quicker, faster. So here's something I did that you can't probably get away with now, but I could get away with at the time. I was pretty good at inspiring people that we could do this. Remember, that was a, that was a shitty time for everybody. People couldn't find jobs and it was tough. So I put in on Craigslist and said, I can't pay you anything, but I know that I can sell contracts if you can help me fulfill them after I sell them. And I got people to respond to that. And they said, okay, we're not doing anything anyway. You seem like you're a pretty good salesman. If you sell it, we'll build it and you can pay us when they pay you. And I was like, all right. So I built a little team doing that. And the Craigslist things came in. And we started building it from there. Then I told them, guys, we need a website. So they built me a real website. 
And if you look on, if you Google uh, My Web Wow in YouTube, you will actually see the first time the news came out to us in that coffee shop. They did a little piece on us about local startups during the time. It was 2008. And we were, I think we had like twenty dollars to $25,000 in contracts by that time. And that was about five or six months later. And it was all because people just believed I could sell because I motivated them to do work without being paid at the time. Um, but I, I think you might be able to still do that if people make an income and you, you tell them it's going to be a side income. But uh, it was just uh, 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 using the tools I had at the time, using the access I had at the time, and then motivating people to help me and help themselves and made commitments to them that, that, that I kept. And uh, there was one thing I will tell you, all the entrepreneurs playing at home, here's one rule I will tell you. And I don't know what language we can use. Do not fuck with people's money. That's it. Rule number one. Do not be greedy. If you tell them you are going to pay them, pay them and pay them on time. I told people all the time in the beginning when I was starting, I may not pay you what you want, but I will pay you what I tell you I will pay you. And I've never missed a payment. I've never missed a payroll. And, and, and that is really, that will kill a small business quickly. Especially when you're in a service-based business, if you don't at least pay, you're not clear on what you're going to pay them, and then pay them on time without bullshit what you say you're going to pay them. I built some trust with people that said, oh my God, he really did give me the $500. And they just kept moving. I have one guy still from that time. His name is Mark Olin. Uh, Mark Olin, I think, is one of the most wicked search engine guys in the country. Uh, very interesting dude. <laughs> But uh, tough to have a conversation with sometimes, but understand search engine optimization. He was single. He was the f one of the first guys I met off Craigslist 10 years ago. Uh, I pay that guy well into the six figures now uh, every year. And uh, 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 smart guy, helped me build my business. But though you never know how long those relationships might last. Do the right thing with people's money. Use the resources you have at the time to recruit and to gain clients. And then uh, 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 sell, sell the shit out of stuff. And I'll give you one more tip, and then that's uh, you ask your next question. But my, my favorite favorite guys ever met was Steve Weil from uh, Able Roof. And uh, uh, we did a lot of work, work for him. And he told me, uh, he's, I can say it's because I'm Jewish, but he, uh, he's a little Jew-fro. I don't know if you ever met Steve Weil. He's a short little guy, Jew-fro. Fun, fun guy, but, but great, great personality. And I can say that because he's a good friend of mine. He said, Andrew, let, let, me, let, me, let me tell you something. I said, Steve, tell, tell me a little bit about how you built this brand. Because he sold it. He sold it to Mr. Roof for like $100 million or something ridiculous. But um, he, he told me, he sat there and he said, Andrew, you know what the first thing I did when I started a business? He said, I sold a roof. Do you know what the second thing I did? Learn how to build a motherfucking roof. <laughs> I said, that's cheating. So, so what, what, what he was telling me at that time is, stop trying to get everything perfect. Get out there and sell it. Get people motivated that you can do it. And then all the rest will follow. And, 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 and it was one of the most impactful things I had heard uh, later on in my career. I wish I had learned it earlier. But uh, uh, that's a lot of mistakes people make is they try to get it all organized and dot all the I's and uh, T's, uh, cross all the T's and just sell it. Have a basic understanding how you're going to do it. Have a team behind you that's motivated to help support you. D 
don't screw with their money when you're about to pay them and just keep being aggressive and build a referral a referral network do good work and sooner or later you'll be a, a multi-million dollar creative agency like we are <laughs> before you know it uh, yeah that is an incredible I, I was gonna ask later what are your tips for our entrepreneurs out there but i think you just need I hit about all of them. <laughs> that's Slim Jim that's coming out. That's yeah, that's Slim Jim, he's drinking a Red Bull. I mean, I'm fired up. I'm about to start eating Slim Jims and drinking Red Bulls all day. I thought they were horrible for I thought it was completely counterproductive to everything Can't you said be. you're going to do, but yeah. it no. proved me wrong, but 100%. <laughs> but, uh, they have protein in them, apparently. That's what they tell me. We'll see. Well, there's something in them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jumping into a question, though. Uh, so what were some of the biggest challenges or accomplishments that you feel have had a significant impact on your career in these past 10, 12 years. And maybe it's like biggest customers landed or customers lost. Cause I think there's a story there between how you went from almost contracting these people out via Craigslist to creating a real company out of everything. Yeah. Well, I mean, how qualify it? What do you want to talk? You want to talk about challenges personal or you want to talk about challenges business? Think, um, uh, think what, what do you think is most significant? Yeah. Mm. Well, here's what I'll tell you guys. So, and I don't know what level of entrepreneur we got listening right now, but here's here's what I will tell you. In the beginning, uh, you'll make mistakes, and um, but but I have to tell you, here here's the challenges in the beginning. Um, the money, watch the money. That's uh, don't get ahead of yourself when you start making it. Don't go buy stupid shit. Always keep a reserve to pay people. Your most important resource is going to be your people. And I don't mean you. Don't be selfish. Don't overthink that you've made it when you haven't. And take it slow with your money and your spending. Spend it back in your business. People say, what do you mean to spend back in the business? I get it. You got to live, but live cheap. And put it back into your business and give the facade that you are better than you are. There is one thing that when we were growing, it was because um, we were a creative agency, it's tough to buy mo better monitors for your team when you want to buy better rims for your car. There's tough to buy pictures and stuff and spend money on shit that people can visually see to be inspired when you want to buy a better TV for your house. Don't do it. Resist the temptation and build an environment that is bigger than you are, and um, that was um, that was that was tough for me because I was so used to spending other people's money. It started to be when I worked for corporate America. Uh, I just wanted to spend my own, and I did make a mistake. I made a mistake when we blew up to we did a, a four point two million in two thousand fourteen, and. Um, and I almost collapsed us. I almost bankrupted us. Um, because I, I left the business from a standpoint of, and this was one of the, uh, besides spending the money, uh, thinking you have, when you get to that level, a machine running properly and you don't. Exiting too early um, your business uh, when you think it's already running and you're making a lot of money uh, because people that will that will get crushed quickly and I want to explain that a little bit when you're based in a service-based business and, and you have um, your only uh, your, what you're selling is intellectual property 
in my case. I'm not selling a product. I'm selling intellectual property. And I have to critically think for a, a, a whole list of different clients uh, throughout the time, whether it be a, a vet that comes in one day, a roofer that comes in another. That level of critical thinking needs to have a process behind it. And I did not think that that level of critical thinking was something that was so unique to me. Uh, I thought everybody had it. And, and when I kept selling and selling and selling and we got up to this point that we were doing all this revenue, what happens was the client expectation wasn't met and we had probably half of that revenue leave the business within six months. You, you can't have that. So my, 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 my call out to you is, number one, when you're early, watch the money and, 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 and restrain yourself. Hardcore. There's not a gift. There's not a trip. Screw it. It will come. Restrain yourself. But when you start to make a bunch of, of uh, when you start to see your business go up, don't exit early. Because that, 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 that growth will only be sustainable if you have a developed process and you have a developed uh, 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 replicatable, I'll say, scalable process that is not solely relying on critical thinking alone. Uh, your team must have an understanding of what to do and when to do it. It's not osmosis. Uh, don't will it on them. It, it's not going to work that way. So then we took it back to a core, uh, doing about half of that revenue to, uh, a year later. Uh, and we started to develop processes and procedures and expectations. And we grew slower and more sustainable with scalability and processes in place, uh, taking away the level of critical thinking that people were going to need and spinning on a dime. And we are seeing sustainable growth now and, 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 and good growth with a good underlying system and, and practices underneath it. So uh, watch the money, develop processes, and uh, don't, don't exit too early if you want to continue to grow your business. So you talked about you built processes. You basically took your selling knowledge and built it into the business to where people couldn't make mistakes as long as they stayed in their lane and executed properly. But can you talk about what you were doing that was selling that was unique? How were you selling? How were you scaling from doing 25000 after six months to $4.2 million in six years? Okay. I'll give you this. It's the golden rule of marketing. It's really all it is. Okay. So I'll give you guys a little analogy and then we'll go from there. Luke uh, uh, 1410. Yeah. So there's a priest and a nun. And they're uh, 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 ride, or, or a priest rather is riding in his car. And he sees a nun on the side of the road. And, of course, the good priest that he is, he, he picks her up, puts her in the car. As they're riding along, her, her habit or, or her skirt uh, cuts open a little bit and reveals her, her leg, her left leg. The priest, overcome with emotion and, and feeling carnal feelings, puts his hand on her knee. And the nun looks at the priest and says, Now, Father, Luke 14.10. So, embarrassed, he pulls his hand back. A couple more miles down the road, the, 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 the habit opens up a little more, and the priest puts his hand on her leg. And, and the nun looks at him and says, Now, Father, please remember Luke 14, 10. Uh, they arrive at the convent. The priest lets, lets the nun out. No other situation happens. He rushes off to his parish and runs inside and grabs a Bible. He opens up speedily to, to Luke 14, 10, and inside it the verse says, uh, Friend, move up to a higher place. The point of that is know your audience, okay? 
don't rely on what you understand uh, your audience to be from past behavior, from your own thought processes, or what you visually see. Know your audience. My ability to grow from 25,000 to now multi-million is when I am speaking to somebody and selling to them, I do what I believe is a good job of saying, what is your problem? Tell me what your problem is. Who are you and who are you trying to target with a solution? Stop. Don't tell me what colors you fucking want. Don't tell me what you want your ad to look like. Tell me what your problem, what you think your target customer is, what your problem you are trying to solve for them, and I will contextually and visually solve that problem without saying a word. And they start talking, and then they understand what, and then in that moment, I have done what Nike has done to customers for four decades. They have gotten into the heart of their customer. Nike's slogan, just do it. What they're saying in that moment is, I don't need to tell you how a golf club's made. I don't need to tell you how a sneaker's made. What I understand is you're going to give me every excuse to not work out, not play golf, not swim, not do anything. You know my response to that is? Just do it. Stop with the excuses. And in that moment, we as a consumer understand that Nike has gotten our emotion. And if they understand who we are, they'll damn well build a good product for us. Because if you care about somebody and you understand their problem, you're going to solve it properly. You don't need to tell me how you're doing it. And I think most salespeople and most creative agencies, they try to start with the solution. And they try to start, and most salespeople try to get to, okay, so you want this? Well, let's, let's, let's solve it. Stop. I don't care what you want. Just tell me what your problem is. And I'll tell you how I'm going to solve it. And if we agree on that solution, and I understand what your problem is, I've had more people sign up with me because they just go, you get it, man. You get it. Okay, I, I believe you. you don't, I don't have to show them website examples. I don't have to show them case studies. People start to get all worked up. Well, let's get a brochure out in front of them. Shut up. I've shown, I don't even have a business card. You just go into a meeting, you understand what their problem is, and you really listen and say, okay, what if we solved it this way? And they go, you get it. You get it. You get me. I love it. Let's do it. Where do we start? So were you that good on your feet at being able to solve those problems when you first started? Is something that you grew? Because, I mean, your background's law. You're not... I mean, internally or like professionally, you haven't grown creative. So like, do you consider yourself creative now or do you bring people in who are creative? Well, I think uh, back to the full cycle of Seinfeld, it's one of my favorite shows. So uh, full, full cycle Seinfeld episode here where we get back to the beginning with the end. Started with my father. He's a great salesman, right? So innately, I have the ability to connect to people just because of my father, right? Educationally, that's what a lawyer does. Argues a case and convinces people of something that may or may not be true. And that's how I've been trained. I've been trained to have a, have a argument and validate that argument with the best facts I have at the time, being ready for any wild card that may be thrown my way and being ready to answer it. <clears throat> so I think that I've somewhat always had it. And at the end of the day, you couple that with, I'm a pretty good critical thinker. So if you give me something, I don't go to marketing. It's not like you ask me something, say, man, I want to sell more of these baseball hats. To who? Okay, the kids between 12 and 15. Okay, all right, well, where are they? They're here, they're here. And we just critically think through it, right? And then I apply marketing best practices, which are not that, and you know I mean? It's not that vast. We, we have eight channels of marketing we play in. I don't want to name them. They are what they are, SEO, social content. 
there's fundamental things that you do that will apply to solving that problem. Okay? So as long as I can get you to a point of what's your problem, critically think through what's the best way to solve that problem, and then apply eight channels of digital marketing being an inch wide and a mile deep, don't do crazy shit, just do email marketing right. Show my unique promise of value on the website. Put a video that explains what I do. Don't show generic pictures of my team. Take real pictures that are in the real world environments. Emotionally connect to them. Just apply basic principles of marketing, but understanding what your problem is, why you're trying, how you as a business owner solve it in your unique way, and I apply my eight channels of marketing, it's not that fucking hard. People make it too hard. You don't have to be a marketing genius. You could just read a good marketing book, have the ability to critically think, and try to really get at somebody's problem and solve that problem. Anybody can be a good marketer and a good salesperson, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. And so, uh, you know, as we're at, wrapping up here, um, one of the last questions we always like to ask our guests on the show revolves around kind of what our theme of the podcast is, which is uh, live uncomfortably. Mm -hmm. So when you hear that phrase, what do you think of and how does it relate to your career? Live uncomfortably? Live uncomfortably. Well, I think it goes back to uh, 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 money. Money, don't, don't do it for the money. And um, well, I think there's two. The obvious answer is you'll have plenty of time to spend the money. Do what you love and, and the money will come. But I live uncomfortably to me because I love spending money. My, my wife even says you're a little bit of a shopaholic. I buy stupid shit. So live uncomfortably resonates with me because my wife is now on the stop. Stop spending. I don't need to see an Amazon box every time we come home with some stupid shit in it. So uh, whether it be a T-shirt or whatever. So live uncomfortably means I, I can't. I can't order shit on Amazon anymore. Uh, that that was been taken out. But uh, more maybe deeper. Live uncomfortably. Do something every day that you personally feel uncomfortable doing with another human being. We got to put some boundaries on that. <laughs> well, yeah. So what I mean by that is get the technology out of your hand and have a face-to-face -face conversation with somebody. Do something that connects with somebody outside of the digital space. I know that sounds weird because I'm in the digital space, but human interaction is lost. And we need to get it back. So do something uncomfortably, verbally, <laughs> conversationally, emotionally connect with somebody outside of a handheld device. And uh, uh, I, I think it'll make a better day for you and for that individual. So stop living behind your, your, your screen environment. Go have a conversation with somebody. As uncomfortable as that is, pick up the phone and use it in for what it was intended to be used for. Speaking, <laughs> have a conversation with somebody and get back to the art form of that. Absolutely, Andrew. Hey, I re we really appreciate having you on the show today. We think that's a great place to wrap up. Do um, you have any last words for the uh, before we wrap the show up here? Uh, eat a Slim Jim. They're eat delicious. <laughs> we're, gonna in we're gonna invoice them after yeah, we're that. Gonna say that. that. <laughs> we're sending Slim Jim an invoice now. <laughs> but, all right, Conquerors, hey. Thanks a lot for tuning in this week. That was Andrew, hold on, Catapano. There you go. Good. We with got Wow it. Brand, CEO and founder. And this is Conquering Columbus. We'll talk to you guys next week. If you like that episode, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, social media. We're all over the place, guys. Share it with your friends. Also want to ask you if you could do us a big favor. Check out that podcast app you're listening to us on. 
and go ahead and click that subscribe button. Again, it really helps us out and it makes sure you guys never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. Last thing we want to do before we let you go here is give one last shout out to all of our incredible sponsors. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. For those of you who don't know who they are, the Sundown Group is an Ohio nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout Ohio. More information on the web at sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them is a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more and check out a free trial at gofmx.com. Mike here again. And if you want to be a sponsor of Conquering Columbus and have your message heard by conquerors across the city, please reach out to me at mike at conqueringcolumbus.com. There will be a quick survey in the show notes of today's episode. And if you guys could fill that out for us, we'd really appreciate it. All right, folks, that's all we got. We'll talk to you next week. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.